Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and I apologize for the sketchy voice and any coughing. I am a little bit under the weather, but the show must go on, and I'm excited regardless to share my thoughts and a review of Rob Wolf's new book, Wired to Eat. One of my favorite things about this book is that while his goal is to help us get healthier and leaner, he tackles a couple of important things that most books like this don't cover. And that is number one, that there is no one size fits all. We are very individual. And that is a theme that runs throughout this book, our individuality and how some of us respond well to certain foods and others of us don't. And really catering to your own body instead of following some one size fits all blueprint. I love that. The other thing that I love is that he focuses as much on non-food factors as he does on food factors. I've shared in the past few episodes that I really feel like most of us, including myself, have paid or are paying a disproportionate amount of attention to the food factors at the expense of overlooking some of the non-food factors. And for me, one of those big things, those non-food factors has been sleep and hydration. So not only does he focus on individuality with food, but also the critical importance of sleep, of stress management, of light exposure, and connected relationships. And he opens the book, actually, this isn't at the beginning, although I think it could be. Um, There's a powerful and simple statement. I think I love it so much. I think it's going to have to find its way onto a wall somewhere in my house, but it says, One could spend billions of dollars on research and not come up with better health recommendations than eat whole unprocessed foods, get outside in the sun, move a lot, sleep like you're on vacation, and surround yourself with loving relationships. And I think that's a really great litmus test. Many of us will find ourselves freaking out about, oh, oh, artificial sweeteners, are those okay? Or what kind of probiotic should I take? Or is ketosis healthy or unhealthy? Return to the simplicity of that statement. Eat whole unprocessed foods. Get outside in the sun. Move a lot. Sleep like you're on vacation and surround yourself with loving relationships. This book covers a lot of ground. And I certainly can't go into it all here, nor is that my intention. I will link to the book over in the show notes for today's episode on primalpotential.com. But I am going to cover three different areas of this book. One is the problem. 
how we got to this situation where it's so easy to overeat. Our cravings tend to be very strong. We've overridden our natural satiety signals. So the problem there, and then I'm going to talk about the non-food solutions like sleep, like light exposure, and then the food solutions. And if you want to purchase a book, I, I think it's a great one to have. You certainly can go to Amazon and search Wired to Eat. If you go through the link on primalpotential.com, I get like four cents or something like that, maybe less. Um, but I will link to it in the show notes over at primalpotential.com. If you want to kick four cents my way, I certainly won't stop you from doing that. So he starts by explaining the problem. And from his perspective, a big part of the problem is that we have overridden our body's built-in protective mechanisms that prevent us from overeating and getting fat. Obviously, we're really good at overeating. Obviously, we have no issue putting on excess body fat. What happened to create that situation where our body's built-in mechanisms to prevent that got overridden? I think it's really important to understand this, and it harkens back to a few episodes ago um, that I, well, I think the one I did recently on binging, but then way back I did one on hyperpalatability and how certain foods are designed to trigger us to overeat and also designed to not trigger our body's satiety mechanisms or feeling of fullness that food scientists are paid tremendous amounts of money to manufacture foods that override our body's natural satiety mechanisms and trigger our propensity to overeat. And in his book, Wolf makes the case that most of our weight problems and health problems or struggles to lose weight come from what he calls the neuroregulation of appetite. Essentially, your brain plays a huge role in satiety, feelings of fullness, hunger, and there are specific things about the way we eat and the way we live, different diet and lifestyle factors that have messed up the way our brain regulates or the way our brain fails to regulate our appetite. And that makes it really easy to overeat and very difficult to eat less. One of the big goals of his book is to show you how to fix the neuroregulation of appetite and get your body working as it was intended to. And much of this is about hormones, but we'll get into all of it. He gives a really great analogy here. You know how when you're pumping your car full of gas, your car has built-in mechanisms to not let you overfill the gas tank, right? Whether your hand is on the pump or not, it sort of clicks off when it gets close to full. It has an automatic shutoff to prevent you from overfilling it. You can override that, though. You can re-trigger it, right, to top it off. Or you can re-trigger it and just hold it down until you've got gas pouring out all over the ground. In the same way, our body has natural regulations in place to keep us from eating too much and also to keep us from putting on too much body fat. But we can override our appetite sensors and our body fat sensors and our blood sugar sensors by consuming processed foods, by overeating, by not sleeping enough, right? By not getting enough exposure to sun or by excessive stress. And when we fix these things, our bodies have a really beautiful and brilliant way of naturally regulating appetite and body fat. He talks about SNS, super normal stimuli. And I talked about this a little bit in the binging episode a few episodes ago. 
Supernormal stimuli, consider this like the brain children and cash cows of the food industry. Think chicken and waffle potato chips or peanut butter pretzels, salted fudge ice cream. They are complex flavor combinations, supernormal stimuli that are highly manufactured and they are sort of not just a regular food product, but they are designed to hyper-stimulate our palates. And if we think about real food for a second, a potato, chicken, in their whole food form, we're not going to binge eat on them. We're going to get bored or we're going to get full. They're just not that exciting to the palate. But when we fry the chicken, when we put maple syrup on it, we can keep going. When we load up the potato with, you know, chives and sour cream and crispy salty bacon, we can eat more of it. And these food scientists are carefully designing food. That's why you're seeing on the market more and more of these combinations of not just pretzel sticks anymore, but pretzel sticks with peanut butter and chocolate, right? Not just vanilla ice cream, but ice cream with all sorts, you know, salted caramel and fudge, all of these things that fall into the category of supernormal stimuli. If you want to eat less, avoid things that you would consider supernormal stimuli. I go into this more in the recent episode I did on strategies to overcome binge eating and also some of the past episodes I've done on hyperpalatability. And again, I will link to those in the show notes for this episode over on primalpotential.com. But I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind when you eat those things that are supernormal stimuli. Imagine that you are ignoring that click off, that shut off valve of appetite or body fat storage, and you are just holding down the pump and overriding those signals. Before we talk about the food solutions in the book, I want to focus on the non-food solutions. Now, the food solutions are fascinating. We'll get to those in a few minutes. But there are a couple of things that I think often get brushed over and we focus on on diet and exercise, which are important, but it's not all there is. The non-food factors that uh, Rob Wolf spends a lot of time talking about in Wired to Eat are stress, sleep, light exposure, and relationships or connection. I was so happy that this book had such an emphasis on these things. And I will acknowledge that I'm a little bit late to the party in realizing what a huge role they play for me. Because for the longest time, I fell into the camp where my focus was, you know, eat clean, move my body. And those are awesome. But I was undermining a lot of my effort and creating a situation where my body was fighting against me. Hello, Hashimoto's diagnosis because I wasn't prioritizing these other things that are as important, if not more. Stress, sleep, exposure to light, right? Relationships and connection. I am going to be doing a whole separate episode on the relationships and connection piece with other people and with yourself. So I'm I'm not going to really touch on that today. I think it's so important and rarely talked about. Um, so stay tuned for an upcoming episode on that part of it. It was very serendipitous that Wired to Eat focused so much on sleep because this book released the Tuesday after my five-day fast that I did with my girl Ella from On Air with Ella. One of my takeaways from the fast that was that I need more sleep. And so as soon as I got home, the book was waiting for me and reading it really solidified that that is a huge rock for me right now, sleep. And since, say, I don't know, 60s, 70s, early 80s, with the onset of more technology, internet, TV on demand, we are getting far less sleep now than we were just 20, 30 years ago. And 
Wolf makes the point that I wish I had understood sooner, but I'm excited to prioritize it now that I really understand the true impact. He says, if people just slept more, we would likely not need to concern ourselves with diet as much at all. Now, he's not saying that if you're sleeping, you can eat whatever you want, but sleep does so much for regulating your metabolism and appetite that your body is far more forgiving when you are well-rested than when you're not. He says that sleep buys you a lot of latitude with your diet. Just you have more wiggle room. And it makes me think, you know, when I was reading that, it makes me think about kids and teenagers and how it seems like they can eat anything with no consequence. And I would argue that a big part of that is the metabolic and hormonal benefits, the neuroregulation of appetite benefits that come from the fact that they tend to get a lot more sleep than we stubborn adults. And it goes without saying that some people can't sleep more. Maybe you're a shift worker, maybe you have young kids, and he calls it as it is. You just have less latitude with your food choices if you aren't well rested. It becomes even more important to eat really clean very, very consistently. You just don't have the latitude with food if you are not well rested. He goes through the negative impacts of not getting enough sleep. Many of these I tackle like way back, I think, in episode 17 of the podcast. I'll link to that in the show notes because it goes into a lot more detail about sleep. But just as a general overview, when you are not well rested, just even for a day or two, never mind for years and years, like is my situation, it impairs your ability to metabolize carbohydrates. It impairs your response to the hormone insulin. It leads to gut permeability, which can cause immune issues or allergic symptoms, GI issues, uh, overall inflammation, impaired metabolism. Um, it changes your hormonal responses to food, increases your cravings, limits your cognitive function. And this, guys, is really simple. Get more sleep. Another one he touched on is light exposure, natural light exposure versus artificial light exposure. And I emphasize this and go into a lot more detail back in episode 17 of the podcast, but that was so long ago. And I'll admit that I have gotten away from some of my good light exposure habits. But basically, in order to sleep better and in order to keep our metabolisms and our appetites in good working order, we've got to be very protective of our natural circadian rhythm. And we do this by getting more exposure to natural light and limiting our exposure to artificial light, especially when the sun is not up. We confuse our bodies when we're not getting much exposure to sunlight, but we're always exposed to this artificial light. When we disrupt our circadian rhythm, whether that's by being up before the sun or up long after the sun has set, always exposed to artificial light, rarely exposed to natural light. There's lots of different ways to screw this up. It impacts our hormone balance, our ability to heal, our sleep patterns, our metabolism. It is a real problem. Now, a lot of people are like, I don't want natural sun exposure because of cancer. But as Wolf explains, and, and I'm really glad he, he puts it so simply, the link between sun exposure and skin cancer is not about simple exposure to sun. It is about sunburn. So you want exposure to sunlight with unprotected skin, but you do not want it to the extent that you get sunburn. So if you can go outside and stand in the sunlight for a few minutes in the morning, go for a walk at lunch, you're doing yourself a world of good. Just avoid the burn. As I mentioned, relationships and connection with yourself, with the world around you, huge part, not just of mental health, but of physical health. 
metabolism and hormones and all of those things. But I am going to do a separate episode on that because I've recently had a few big aha moments and made some changes in my life based on these needs. And I want to do that in a separate episode. Let's shift gears here and talk about the food part of this book, Wired to Eat. Now, let's all agree to keep simplicity in mind. Remember that quote I shared at the start, one could spend billions of dollars of research and not come up with better health recommendations than eat whole unprocessed foods, get outside in the sun, move a lot, sleep like you're on vacation, and surround yourself with loving relationships. The reason that I lead with that is because we're going to be talking about individual blood sugar responses to certain foods, but I don't want anybody panicking and thinking that the only way they can be successful is to buy a blood sugar monitor and prick their finger. Not true. Start with simple, right? The great thing about this book is that it acknowledges that all of us respond to different foods in different ways, right? I've shared before, I'm sensitive to dairy. Even a minimally processed Greek yogurt just doesn't agree with my body, but that might not be true for you. You might feel really great with moderate amounts of dairy. It might satisfy you and allow you to make progress towards your goals. This is especially true of carbohydrates. Back in January of 2015, so like early, early on in this podcast, I think it was Q&A 2, I'll link to it in the show notes, I talked about carbohydrate tolerance and how we all have different carbohydrate tolerance, meaning that some of us metabolize carbs really well and some of us don't. And there are things we can do to improve our carb tolerance. And this is sort of the overarching nutritional philosophy of this book, Wired to Eat. We tolerate different carbs differently. And because carbs drive insulin and insulin is the master fat loss hormone, understanding our carb sensitivities, our individual ones, can help us reach our goals. Are you ready for some really fascinating examples that he shared? The science geek in me really loves this stuff. This is from independent research of how different types of carbohydrate, the same amount, right, total grams, total grams of sugar, whatever, the same amount of carbohydrate from different sources impact different people differently. In the first example, they demonstrate how two different individuals respond from a blood sugar standpoint to both pure glucose, sugar, and bread. So at different times, they each had the same amount of pure glucose and they measured the blood sugar response. And then at another time, they had the same amount of bread and they measured the blood sugar response. And I think most of us would kind of think that pure sugar would create more of a blood sugar reaction than bread. For one individual, that was true. For the other individual, the bread created a much more significant increase in blood sugar than the pure sugar. I think the next example is even more fascinating. Same construct to see how two different people respond from a blood sugar standpoint to bananas and separately cookies. We would probably expect that the cookies would impact blood sugar more than the banana. And that is absolutely the case in one person. The cookies create a big spike, and the banana didn't create much of a reaction at all. But in the other person, they hardly reacted at all from a blood sugar standpoint to the cookies, but had quite a big increase from the banana. What gives? How can the same food in the same amount, eaten in the same conditions, create such a different response? And there are a couple of different factors here, and that's what Rob Wolf is trying to help us figure out in this book. One of the factors at play here is food intolerances. So somebody who is gluten sensitive will probably have a more intense or severe reaction 
to bread based on their food intolerance. The other big one comes from our microbiomes. The bacteria populating our gut play a massive role in metabolism and digestion. And somebody who has um, dysbiosis or an imbalance of bacteria in their gut, or somebody who has just a low total population of gut bacteria, maybe from antibiotic treatment or from having a diet very rich in processed foods, we're just going to metabolize these foods very, very differently. When we don't have a balanced microbiome. After all, we're more bacteria than we are human in terms of the number of bacterial cells in our body versus the number of like human cells in the body. When we don't have a balanced microbiome, we mess up our metabolic capacity. And I've done a number of episodes on probiotics and the microbiome, and I will link to those in the show notes. These examples, though, guys, of the fact that we're looking at the same number of grams of carbohydrate from different sources... This is why I rally against calorie and macro counting. A gram of sugar is not a gram of sugar. 10 grams of carbs is not the same as 10 grams of carbs from another source. 40 calories from carbs is not equal just because it's 40 calories and it's carbohydrate. The source matters and you matter. We are not all built the same. Now, I know you're probably thinking, how do I know which carbs I'm sensitive to? And I'm going to tell you what Rob Wolf suggests you do here. But before I do, you need to worry about the basics first. Whole, unprocessed foods. If that is the improvement you are still working on, keep doing that. Don't get out ahead of yourself. Like I said a couple of episodes ago, if you're day one at the gym, you don't need all this fancy workout equipment. You just need to get there and move your body. So you don't need to be figuring out individual carbohydrate tolerances while you're still regularly consuming processed foods or while you're not sleeping at all. Focus on the big rocks first. With that said, here's what Wired to Eat suggests. He has a basic protocol that looks like this. You essentially eat 50 grams of a whole food carbohydrate of your choice. So we're talking about whole foods like potato, sweet potato, apple, rice. We're not talking about cookies and Pop-Tarts. 50 grams of that carbohydrate choice first thing in the morning on an empty stomach and plain. So if you're testing your response to sweet potato, you're not adding butter or salt. If you're doing rice, you're not adding butter or salt, right? Because those things that we add, salt, butter, whatever else, they not only influence metabolism, but also palatability. We can eat a whole lot more of a potato with butter than without. And part of what we're testing here isn't just the blood sugar response, but how satisfied we are by the food itself in its whole food form without other things added. So part of this is an objective measurement of blood sugar, but another part of it is paying attention to how you feel. If it satisfies you, if it leaves you with cravings, if you feel clear-headed or foggy afterwards. So the objective part is the 50 grams on an empty stomach first thing in the morning, and then two hours later, you check your blood sugar. Now, in that two-hour window, you don't eat anything else, okay? So you're not you're going to have that 50 grams of whatever carb you're choosing to test, And then for two hours, you're not going to eat anything else, right? And then you're going to check your blood sugar. And Rob Wolf says it should be in the range of 90 to 115, 115 milligrams per deciliter, okay? If it's more than that, it suggests you might have an intolerance, that your body isn't metabolizing it efficiently. It doesn't mean you're allergic, okay? I want to be clear that's not what we're talking about here. 
it means that it might be one you're just not as tolerant to, um, that you're a little bit more sensitive to, and maybe you shouldn't incorporate as much. Now, he doesn't suggest you just go off one test. If you are outside of this range, so greater than 115 milligrams per deciliter after two hours, he suggests waiting a few days and then testing with half as much. So 25 grams, again, on an empty stomach first thing in the morning, testing your blood sugar two hours later, it should be below 115. If it is not, it's something to which you are likely sensitive. And the book has a chart about what 50 grams of different whole food carb sources is. The subjective factors, though, you really want to pay attention to, did it fill me up or not? You might have 50 grams of apple and feel really satisfied, but not satisfied at all with 50 grams of rice. That matters a lot. We want to be eating foods that really satisfy us. Also, focus and energy. Does one make you crash or make you foggy or give you cravings? These are all signs of carbs that we're best suited for and which we're not as well suited for. So overall, I think this is a really great book, a really helpful resource. Um, and if you're going to read it or even if you're not, I hope you will not lose sight of the simplicity at the beginning of the book. One could spend billions of dollars of research and not come up with better health recommendations than eat whole unprocessed foods, get outside in the sun, move a lot, sleep like you're on vacation, and surround yourself with loving relationships. And speaking of loving relationships, that's a good note to end on because I've got an episode coming soon for you guys just about that. And hopefully by then, my voice will be back a little bit. Um, and I hope you guys have a really great day. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there.